Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. James Coppinger has been involved in professional football since leaving school at 16 years old and is currently 40 years old and still playing for Donny Rovers, where he is a club legend. He has played in every English division, the Premier League, the Championship, League One, League Two and the National League, inheriting a wealth of knowledge and experience over a 20-plus year period, totaling over 800 competitive games. In 2015, he began a new venture called Pro Mindset, which helps footballers create a better understanding of what mental performance looks like and how it plays an integral part in being both successful on and off the pitch. So James, welcome to the show and let's start with Pro Mindset. What inspired you to start this whilst also being a professional footballer? Um, yeah, great introduction by the way. Um, yeah, I think for me, 24 years as a professional footballer, um, it's the standout component, sort of the mental performance, psychology, um, mentality, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, I changed my mindset around 22, 23, when I met an individual called Terry Gormley uh, while I was at Doncaster. Um, it inspired me to, to try and help other players. You know, I think it's quite an untapped um, sort of area we, I break it down into the four corner model with, with tactical, technical, physical, and mental. And, you know, at, at most football clubs, you have the physical, the tactical and the technical all sorted with um, sort of fitness coaches, football coaches, managers. Um, but the mental side of it for me is, is where a lot of players get let down. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been mentoring and working with players, um, trying to help them understand what it is and how important it is. You, you talk there, James, about how you change your mindset. You were a professional footballer. What were you doing wrong? <laughs> um, I, I genuinely think that, like, football, and I've had a conversation with somebody today, ironically, that, you know, he says football, and he's 20 years old, and he said football now isn't what I thought it was. When I grew up uh, playing football, enjoying football, um, now I'm playing as a professional. It's not something that... Um, you know, there's some horrible people involved. Um, there's things that get said that I don't like. Um, and there's so many different variables to professional football and professional sport that, you know, you don't, you almost don't get shown how to deal with them. Um, setbacks, disappointments, um, injuries, um, loss of form, manager doesn't like you. The coaches don't like you. The players are giving you stick. There's so many different things that, as you're growing up, you don't have to you don't have to deal with. But if you don't know how to deal with them, then you're never going to get your best out of yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, and no one, I imagine, prepares children for that or prevent, prepares young pros for that. It isn't part of that education system, as you've alluded to there. So, so what's missing? What what needs to be interjected? What things need to be focused on to support younger players, James? I think I think people should be made aware that. 
you know, setbacks, disappointments. Um, these are all part of professional sport. These are all part of life. Um, and there should be tools, techniques, strategies that, that are given to, to younger people to help them deal with them. Um, you know, when I, when I was growing up, when I made a mistake, it was, it was the worst thing ever. Um, but I've been able to, and I did this purposely. I wanted to learn about this to help my kids, to help the people that I love um, have a better chance and be, be successful and, and be happy. You know, my main motivation from 23 onwards, 22, 23, was to be happy. Um, so I set up sort of strategies and, and mechanisms and um, certain things in my life to, to do that. Um, and I think, you know, from a young person's perspective, if you can realize that, if you can realize that when I make a mistake, it's about learning from that mistake and using it and moving forward instead of um, thinking it's, oh my God, it's the end of the world and moving backwards. I, I think what I'm doing and what a lot of people are doing when they're talking about mental performance, I think it speeds up development. I think it enhances development. Um, and if you, can, if you can grasp it at a young age, I think you will see kids develop faster. And you're talking about development, not just within football, I think, here, aren't you? You know, I, I read an interesting stat the other day. Um, it's 0.012% of, of park footballers actually make it to professionals. So you, you've got a, a real tiny chance of actually making it. So is there an illusion in what you're saying that actually when you're looking at, at, at strategies and mechanisms and failing and, and allowing failure to be part of the process you're talking of something bigger than football you're actually looking at this with a wider lens yeah it's personal development um it's you as an individual becoming the best you can be um as a communicator as for me personally it was a husband as a father as a son um and then what i find is that that almost you can see a difference on the pitch. You know, if I'm happy in myself, if I'm feeling good about myself and everything else is going on um, off the pitch, it's going well, then, then I've always felt like I've, I've been able to perform at my best. Um, but I haven't even, I, you don't even scratch the surface with a lot of this because everybody's different. Everybody, what I, what I call a mind map, everybody's brought up differently. Everybody's set out to have sort of, um, people that influenced them in different ways. And what I was led to believe when I was younger was that that was the way I was and that I couldn't change it. Um, but at 22, when I, when I realized that I could change that and, you know, it was just the way I was thinking um, that was having the huge bearing on my sort of outcomes on and off the pitch, you know, it changed everything for me. So to take us back to that, James, that, that stage when you were about 22, 23, Terry Gormley, was, was that, is that right? Is that the name of the fellow you had a conversation with? What changed there? What, what, what happened? Yeah, so I, I didn't go to a school of excellence. I didn't go to an academy. Um, at 16, I got scouted by Darlington, who were in League Two. And six months into that YTS, they, they give me a YTS, a two-year YTS. Six months into that, um, I went for an England trial and travelled to Poland to play for England under-17s with the likes of Joe Cole, uh, Leon Osman, Peter Crouch, um, Gareth Barry, some fantastic players. Um, and then in the February, I signed for Newcastle for 1.8 million. Um, I made my Premier League debut at 19 under Sir Bobby Robson. And then I got relegated out of the Football League at 21. 
Um, so within five years, I'd gone from Sunder League to Premier League to non-league. And, you know, for anybody, that is a lot to, to, to take and to, to try and get your head round. On top of that, my mum and dad divorced at 17 and my, my granddad, um, my hero, somebody who I worshipped, who I looked up to, he, he died. Um, yeah, he diagnosed with cancer. So within six months, he passed away and it was the first person that I'd ever lost. So a lot happened to me in a short period of time and I, I didn't really have a, a support network around me. I didn't really know how to cope with it um, until I met Terry Gormley. Um, ironically, I didn't know what I was going into and I didn't know what to expect. There's a few exit points there that we can take. I, I'd just like to come back to, to, to mindset. And, and we talk about mindset through the work of the, the, the famous lady from America, Carol Dweck, who, who talks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And what you're saying here at 21 and 22, this was before that, that book came around and that research was actually at the forefront of what educators are using. Was it Terry that introduced that to you? Yeah, Terry sort of, again, it was more around, at the time I was, I was performing off, I was performing at the training ground, so I was playing really well. And, you know, I couldn't perform on a Saturday. I struggled to replicate what I was doing on the training ground. And Terry, Terry had met Dave Penny, the manager, and he said, look, um, you've got 10 minutes to, to make me believe in this stuff. And Terry picked his stuff up, stiff up and walked, went to walk out. And Dave was like, well, where are you going? He went, well, you've called me. And now you're telling me I've got 10 minutes to convince you that this stuff works. And he said, no, 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 just sit down. He said, I've got one player. And if you can work with this player and you can, you can make it work with this, with this player, I'll sort of buy into what you're doing. So I went down to Bellevue, the old stadium at Doncaster and met him in the boardroom. And within 60 minutes, my first ever session with Terry, it transformed my life completely. And I don't mind saying that. Um, what did you, know, you do, James? Um, the biggest thing for me was he, he made me realize, and this, this is something that always stuck with me is, is how you think dictates how you feel, how you feel dictates how you act and how you act determines your results. So it all starts with how you think. And he made me understand that I could control my thinking and I could change it at any point. So effectively, I was thinking constantly in a negative way. I was doubting myself. I was letting people make decisions for me. Um, there were so many things that were happening that I would look back and analyze and think, oh my God, like that's why that was happening. And that's why I ended up getting relegated out of the league. That's why I ended up doing that. And for me coming out of that session, I came out and I, I remember sitting, going home, sitting on the worktop in my kitchen and going and saying to my wife, look, everything's changed for me now. Like it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and things just went from strength to strength, you know, both on the pitch and off the pitch um, in every way, shape or form. So, so what you're saying there is, is changing the narrative away from negativity towards positivity. And that had a total transformation in, in not just your, your work life, I'm suspecting your home life as well. Yeah, and and I think accountability. You know, I've had I've been doing this for seventeen years now, and accountability is huge. I look at interviews 
that I, I did when I first went to Doncaster prior to, to working with Terry. And I blamed managers, I blamed coaches, I blamed Bobby Robson, I blamed basically everybody but myself. And, you know, a big thing for me was looking in the mirror and starting to be accountable for my actions. So I can make decisions and it's, all, it's on me. You know, if people wanted, for example, people would be at the club and they were like, are you coming out tonight? And I couldn't say no. Like, I felt like I wasn't strong enough in myself to say, no, I don't want to. So I used to say, yeah, yeah, I will. And then I used to regret doing what I was doing, whether it was going out, having a drink, whether it was going out, doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Like, that was that was me sort of letting other people control me. Before games, assistant manager used to say things to me and it used to hurt me. It used to, like, I'd be going on the pitch thinking, right, I'm, I'm going to play well today. And he'd say one thing and it would affect my whole performance. Um, so understanding how to filter things, understanding how to control things, understanding to, how, how to be accountable. Um, and a huge, a huge part of it was, I talk about, or, or Terry talked about a diamond. So we all start as this bright, shiny diamond and things happen to us in our lives. And, you know, if you don't deal with them, you cover this diamond and it loses its, its shine. It loses its brightness. And then, if you still don't sort of deal with them, you can't see this diamond. And that was me. Like my mum and dad divorcing, my granddad passing away, um, me getting relegated out of the football league, all these things that had happened, it, I just hadn't dealt with them. So we, we had a really big sort of moment where he asked me to stand up. I was sat on a chair. He asked me to stand up and look at James. So he said, look at James, sat on the chair. So he's me standing, looking at me where I just was. And he said, what do you see? What do you see in James? And even now it gives me goosebumps because I was absolutely, I was amazed at how, how, how far gone I was. Like, sort of lacks confidence, doesn't believe in himself. Um, he feels sorry for himself. Um, all of these things started coming out and I actually broke down, I actually got upset. And he said to me, what would, what would, what would, um, what would James's granddad think? And again, sort of, I just went completely and I was like, like he would feel sad. He would feel disappointed and all these sort of emotions started coming out of me. And then when I'd left after the first sort of session, it had all gone. Like I'd almost cleared this in, in a conflict that I'd been fighting with and I had clear direction and clear focus on where I wanted to be. So wow. it, it really opened a release valve there and it gave you an opportunity to share all these things. I like the uh, diamond analogy and that idea that Terry's basically put you back in control of yourself and given you, he's held a mirror up to you in many ways and given you the opportunity to see who you are and verbalise that and, and then start to move forward with it. What I'm really interested in, it, and, and thanks for sharing so much depth and richness with that, what I'm really interested in now is what are the, the sort of brass tacks or... Um, steps that you took that that helped you to move away from the old James the one that you, you said lacked confidence and, and feel sorry for himself towards a James that then went on to have you know 17 years more and then still counting at, at the top of his game and and you know what it was it was it was a couple of things one of the questions was that I, I actually had this conversation with my son the night before last um around thinking around like, cause I can control my thinking, cause I learned to control my thinking. I always ask my question, does it help me? 
does it help me thinking in that way? And if, it, if the answer's no, then I don't think about it. Um, I move forward. We, we spoke about like coming to a crossroads and what I used to do was I used to get to a crossroads and go, I don't know what to do. If I do this, this will happen. And if I do that, that might happen. And what about this happens? And but what, what, I, what, I, what I've learned to do is just do it. We spoke about the, the, the Nike slogan, just do it. And it was massive for me because now I just do it. And then I know that I'm strong enough to deal with whatever comes. And by coming out of my comfort zone, by moving forward, um, you learn so much and you, you grow so much. What I was doing was staying in my comfort zone, not wanting to really go anywhere and standing still, if not standing still, going backwards. So I think, I think two things was just doing it and coming out of my comfort zone really, really took me to the next level. Um, you know, I played over 800 games, but since I changed my mindset, I played 42 games every season for the past 18 seasons. Um, and, you know, I've had three promotions, but I've had three relegations. Two of them, uh, two of them relegations, we bounced back the first time of asking. Um, I won the, the cup final in the Millennium Stadium. I played at Wembley in front of 80,000 people, beat Leeds 1-0. You know, off the pitch, I went to Machu Picchu. So I went to Peru and had a life-changing experience trekking through the Andes. Um, I built my own house. You know, I've done a lot of things that I would have never, ever, ever thought possible um, when I was 22 years old. And, you know, I'm still doing that. I've, I've got three businesses that that I've, I run and manage. Um, I'm still a professional footballer. And all these things are because of the way I think um, and because I'm constantly growing and wanting to grow as a person. And that's one of our taglines. It's about being better, being a better human. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And that, that personal growth along the way has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm interested with that conversation with, with, with your son. It's... I have I have similar conversations and it seems to go out of one ear into <laughs> and out of the other. It, and, that's, and, that's because that's because you're not a professional footballer, Alan. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> true. <laughs> Very new. But um, the the crux of it, though, you talked earlier about can we get these messages across to to youngsters because we we wish I myself wish I knew about mindset at fourteen and fifteen and even beyond and. How how could we how could we as educators and as leaders and as professional footballers how can we get this message across to these kids? I think personally, and, and you're right. I think if it's your own son, it's really difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, whether you're a professional footballer or not, it's 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 really really difficult. And I have the same battle as you will have. But I think consistency is the key. You know, consistent messages, um, regardless of behaviours, is huge. You know. If you, if you stop because you think your son isn't listening or a, a certain individual isn't listening, I think you're doing them an injustice. I think personally, there'll be a, there'll be a point where, you know, they, they'll pick it up or they'll feel like, you know what? Oh my God, I, I've never heard him say that when you've probably said it 50 times before. Um, and, I, and I've seen that with my kids. So I think consistently saying the same things, maybe trying it in a different way, try to communicate it in a different way trying to unconsciously um, deliver it so that they actually don't know what the message is, but they're actually getting it without actually knowing they're getting it. And I think that was a huge, a huge learning for me in performance is conscious and unconscious performance. 
um, that was a game changer for me in terms of a strategy that I used. Um, and there's loads of different strategies that you can use, but I think 14 to 16 is a, it's an age where if you can slowly drip feed it into people's psyche and into people's sort of mindset, then by the time to get 16, and I've noticed I work with 16 to 18 year olds quite a lot and they're starting to sort of want to know more and how to do certain things and how can I deal with this and how can I deal with that? Up until that point, like what you said, uh, Alan, like parents have most of the control. So you, as a kid, you're basically a byproduct of your parents because they make most of the decisions. But when you leave school and get to 16, you have to start making decisions for yourself. And ultimately, you will be judged on what decisions you make. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And I, and I love that that takeaway there about consistent messages. And I just want you to relate that to as a leader in the changing room. Do you, is that something that you're consistently doing all the time with the younger players, just dropping little gems in there? Hopefully they'll, they'll, you can reel them in. Sometimes they won't listen. But do you feel as if that's your role now as a, as a, as a more senior pro? I think it's been my role. You know, I captained Doncaster from 34 to probably about 38. Um, and that's always been my role. I've, I felt like that's one of my strengths is to is to lead by example and unconsciously affect the group. Um, I've never been a ranter and raver. I've never been somebody who shouts and screams, but at the same time, I'd like to think that people look at me and and know what sort of standards I set. Um, and like you said, unconsciously drip feeds certain things um, into the group. And because football has changed, whether you like it or not, the ranters and ravers and, you know, the, the times when you could absolutely annihilate somebody you can't do it anymore these kids are coming through academies in a total different mindset um we've got 23s players from 19 to 21 and we've got a few old school coaches that if they if they go off on them you just lose them completely um and you just can't do that anymore it's an interesting one that for, for me and lewis who have grown up a little bit old school council estate we, we played a lot of football. I, I grew up with the Dave Bassett model of football at Sheffield United, where you got Vinnie Jones in dressing room. And if you were a young lad hanging around those dressing rooms, you make yourself scarce, let's say. <laughs> and we have this conversation, don't we, Lewis, a lot. Are today's generation, and I know Lewis has different agreements with me, are they a little bit too sensitive or is it just because it's just something that's different? Can they take a good bollocking, for example, or not? <laughs> Um, I, again, I go back to, I think your manager, um, your job as a manager is to understand the group. Yeah. So you understand who can do it, who can take it, who can't take it, who needs an arm around the shoulder. I know that's quite a cliche, but that's ultimately what it's about. Um, and whether they can or not, you know, it's irrelevant really, because I go back to it sort of mind maps. You know, a lot of these kids were conditioned to think in a certain way and a lot of them or the majority of them they've the, the 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 dynamics have changed so it's quite a softer approach it's 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 around education it's around understanding um and i think when you see the likes of jürgen klopp uh, pep you know pochettino the top top managers they're not ranters and ravers they're people that are quite meticulous in 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 how they do things and it's a lot around strategy and making people feel good 
have to be careful what questions you ask Jürgen Klopp, though, don't you? He gets pretty defensive. <laughs> um, James, I wanted to touch upon there, you know, what, what happens on these days for you now? Obviously, you've talked about 22, 23. That was a stark change for you. You, you know, you're taking that into the dressing room now to try and do what you can do and have done in the past as a captain in terms of developing other players' mindsets. What do you do practically when you're having a bad day? You know, we still have days, don't we, despite trying to be positive that things look a bit doom and gloom. Um, what bits and pieces do you do to, to help just get you on an even keel on those days? You know what? And and when I say this, a lot of people <laughs> think I'm lying or I'm, I'm, I'm over the top, but I very rarely have a bad day um, for that reason. You know, I choose... I choose not to, I've eliminated a lot of people out of my life that, that brought me down or made me feel that way. I've eliminated a lot of things that I did that made me feel like that. Um, and I've almost designed my own way of thinking, my own mentality, my own mindset, so that, you know, whenever anything happens in my day, I can deal with it. I know how to deal with it. It doesn't make me feel bad. It doesn't make me feel sad. It doesn't make me feel down. I don't feel sorry for myself. Um, and that's what I've been able to do over 17 years. And, you know, when I tell people that they can do that, you know, and it is possible, a lot of people don't believe me. Um, and I, I don't like saying it, if I'm being honest, um, but I, I'm proud of what I've done and proud of, you know, I'm married. I've been married 13 years. Um, and we've got three kids, and I, I genuinely feel like I don't have I don't have bad days. Um, that is just bad isn't in my vocabulary because I just it just doesn't it just doesn't happen. Um, and then you know what that that sounds ace, and there'll be cynics watching this that'll say, well, <laughs> that's all right for James Coppinger because you know he's he's, he's a professional at the top of his game. He, he plays. He's a footballer. He's living every young man's dream, and he's got some decent cash behind him in 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 twenty years of a career. What's the response to that kind of approach? That you know you you're there and you have that mindset because of the success that you've had. And and that's fair enough. That's people's opinions, and that's what I'm saying. That's why sometimes I don't like saying it because I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I have faults like everybody else, but you know what? I I. I'm honest with myself. I'll go back to the accountability thing. Like I look myself in the mirror. If I have any problems or anyone has a problem with me, you know, I'm up front and say, look, how can I help? How, and, if, and if it's my wife, if it's my mum, if it's my dad, if it's my kids, you know, I'll say like, how, how can I change? How can I help you? Um, you know, but for a lot of people, I'm, I'm not really that bothered, you know, for the, for the majority of people who, who, aren't involved with me every single day. My teammates, yeah, you know, if you ask my teammates, I'd like to think that they'd say I'm, I'm a positive guy and I try and help um, help it, help everybody within the team and in the group. Um, but, you know, I, I do have things, you know, I, I, like you say, I've, I've built my own house. I've put myself under pressure with businesses. You know, it's not all plain sailing. When I come home, you know, I pick my kids up, I, you know, I've got so many different things going on that it's not it's not like that at all. But I enjoy the challenge. Every single day I enjoy the challenge. Every single day I wake up and I have perspective on my life. You know, I've lost both my granddads, my nana, and my grandma's in a home at the minute. I lost my um, mother-in-law. So 
what I learned when I lost my granddad and I found it really difficult is I, I celebrated the people that I lost in their lives and, and how fortunate I am. And I know I sound like I'm going off on one here, but I'm, I, I celebrated how fortunate I am to have what I've got. And I'm really, really grateful for what I've got. So how could I wake up and sort of feel sorry for myself or, you know, you know, when things are going, going, or things are get, things do get harder or I have a bad day at training, you know, I've, I've designed things to, to counteract that. Like I, as soon as I drive out the training ground, so if I've had a bad training session, as soon as I drive by out the training ground, that go that stays there. So I've learned to keep James Coppinger, the footballer at the training ground. So when I'm driving home, like I become James Coppinger, who's in charge of, uh, kicks Middlesbrough and kicks Red Car, the Zenit group, Pro Mindset, and the father. Um, and then when I drive back in the next day, I drive in as James Coppinger, the footballer, and I start to think about what I need to do and how I need to do it. So I've learned to strategize certain parts of my life so that it, I don't sort of, it doesn't overwhelm me. What are the support systems that help you to do that, James? When, you know, what, what do you need to call upon to be able to do that? Is there a daily routine you have? Are there certain people that you need to speak to? Or is this all something that, that's done really individually and in a, in a very solo sort of basis? No, I have, um, I have a partner who I work with, with, with one of my franchises, um, who's really, really good. I, I purposely sort of um, went into business with him because he's exactly like-minded as me. He doesn't really see any problems in anything. It's more trying to get solutions. So again, trying to choose the right people I could go back to. You know, if I was going with one of my friends who I've known all my life, but really don't get on with him and he, he drags me down and he makes me feel a certain way, I just wouldn't do that. I've learned not to do that. So I've gone with somebody who who I feel like is, is, is very similar to myself. Um, my agent and best friend, I speak to him all the time. Um, very like-minded, had to retire at 24. He worked with Terry as well, ironically. Um, and he's become one of the best agents in the country, works for the biggest agency in the country in Stella. Um, and I speak to him a lot. I, I'd probably say he's one of my mentors. I speak to Terry um, quite a bit. I, I write a lot of things down. So I'm constantly writing things down in terms of what I need to do, how I need to do them. Um, I set goals, I set targets. Um, and the biggest thing I think is I have time where I do nothing where I can rest, where I can sort of, it might be three or four hours on a night where I can watch football, where I can spend time with my kids, where I can just do absolutely nothing. Um, and that's probably the best thing that I've ever done is, is do that because I think it's massive. And you find that time of doing nothing, you know, you've you talked in really simple terms there about, you know, trying to leave James Coppinger, the footballer at the training ground, trying to bring a business head on when you have your business deals, bringing your father head on when you're home to be a father. How do you switch off? You are a busy man, as you've said. Three children, three businesses, and a and a football club um, that worship you and, and adore you for the the efforts and, and the success that you've brought them through the years. How do you sit on an evening and switch off? It's easy, you know, and and it's something that for a lot of people they struggle with. Um, the because because I know it helps me. And because I enjoy doing it is because it's how, it's how I do it. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's probably one of the things that, that I've always been good at. Um, 
you know, there's times when I do sit down and think I should be doing this or I should be doing that. But I know that the right thing to do is, especially if we've had a game and in between sort of a Saturday and a Saturday or we've had a Saturday and a Tuesday, um, I think it's always good to just do nothing. Um, rest and sleep is, is huge for anything. Um, but again, I go back to it. I've just almost designed a certain way of doing things and it works for me. Um, and then if, it, if, if things, you know, when I do retire from football and I have to sort of rejig everything and almost find a new structure for, for how I'm going to do things, that's when sort of, you know, I'd, I'd sort of speak to other people and, and almost, you know, if, I, if I'm not sure of something, I'll go and ask somebody who I value, you know, who's been there and seen it and done it. And I, and I read a lot of books as well and listen to a lot of podcasts. Like, um, like Alan said, I think that's huge. And I've done that probably for the last 10 years. Give us give us some examples, James, of the of the books that you're really into and your and your podcast just for our viewers. Yeah, I, I like I really like Tony Robbins. Um, you know, he, he was he was massive for me when I started out at like 22, 23. Um, you know, to listen to some of his things and to know that this isn't this weird and wonderful thing that people make it out to be. I talk about because mindset and um, psychology you can't see it it's invisible people are so reluctant to understand what it is and buy into it you listen to Tony Robbins on YouTube you listen to some of his podcasts his books read his books he's just on a different planet um, and again I just think I would advise anybody who's never never heard of him or, or listened to him to go out and, and, and listen to some of his stuff because I think it's life-changing sort of stuff. Um, the secret, so, you know, around the law of attraction. I'm a huge believer in the law of attraction after reading The Secret. Um, it pieced a lot of things together for me in terms of I'm, I'm, I'm big on visualisation. I visualised the goal that I scored this season. I've done it in the past, and it's almost like if you can learn to sort of understand what it is and how to do it, then I think it's a game changer as well. Um, Shoe Dog was a big book for me um, around Nike, the owner of Nike, um, his journey and where he started out and when he became sort of a billionaire. Um, it, it was just an absolute game changer, you know, in terms of listening to him, him, his experiences and how much he valued the journey, the process. You know, he became a billionaire and he said, I'd trade in every single penny to go back to the beginning and relive that journey. Um, and for me, it's huge. I talk about it all the time with people, with players, is they want to, they want instant gratification. They want to get to the end. And like, for me, it's like, you, you don't need to get to the end. You want to enjoy every single minute of every single day. Um, as a professional footballer and as a person, you know, that's what you're striving for is to, is to do that, you know, enjoy moments that for a lot of people, they're, they're insignificant, but for me, it isn't, it isn't the way. And it's sort of, when you read books like that, it, it, it rubber stamps what I'm already thinking. Yeah, I totally agree about the process and the journey. It, it, it really is something to savor. Let, let me give you a scenario, James, the, yeah, Gaffer brings you in and he says, look, Cops, I've got this young pro, very talented, but, and that's where the big book comes in, don't work hard, really negative, fixed mindset, not a nice character around a, around a change room, influence others, he's out, he's out on the town all the time. 
I want, can you, how can you just spend some time with him? Where do you start with that? And in, in the scenario you've given me is the scenario I get all the time. Um, <laughs> because, but because the majority of clubs, the majority of managers are just saying, get rid of him. Yeah. And in my opinion, I feel like if I was going to invest money in a, in, in a player, if I was a football club and I was going to invest money in a player, I think a lot of players get la- let down um, because, you know, there's so many different factors, and we've said it, that, that can sway a footballer. Um, and a lot of the time, it's you get, you get left to your own devices, and if you can't deal with it, if you have two or three bad games, it's like, right, next. At some football clubs, it's right, next. Who, who's, who's, do you know what I mean? Whereas I think, for me, it's about finding out why that player's doing what he's doing, Find out that player. What what does he think? What what motivates him? Um, what's important to him? What makes him happy? Find out all these things and build a relationship with him. Because what I found is that the majority of football players want to do well. The majority of players are professional footballers and they want to do well. A lot of the time, they're either thinking in the wrong way, they're either letting other people affect them, or it's too much for them. Um, and again, I work with players from 16 to 35 and, you know, I work with a 25 year old player who has been institutionalized and been in an academy from the age of seven and he doesn't know anything else. So he's got to a stage now where he's like, he's got to the end of the road in terms of he's struggling a little bit. He's been at Premier League clubs and then he's at a club now where he's thinking, oh my God, what is, what's next for me? Um, he's got two kids. And he's starting to have a little bit of a realisation, but nobody's helped him. Like, nobody's made him realise there's more to life than just football. And he's... I've actually not feel sorry for him, but, you know, it's sad because he's been let down, in my opinion, by so many different people. Um, and I think, you know, if you can support players, if you can put... What, I, what I'm suggesting to clubs is that you put in... Um, development plans for players, not just in the academy, but at every single age. Um, and then you've got a better chance of making them a success. What's going to change clubs' focus on this, James, and make them do some of these things you're suggesting? Because like, like you quite rightly identified there, it's a really cutthroat business. You know, 99.9% of players at a club in an academy will never even pull on the shirt for the first team and play in a professional game. So why should clubs start to invest and care about these individuals? And why shouldn't it just be a, a sort of revolving door of, well, he's bother or he's too much asshole, let's just get someone else in. What's going to change that sort of pattern that we're seeing? I think it's starting to change. I genuinely do. I spoke to Liverpool in the summer. Um, Alex Inglethorpe, their academy manager, um, and their first-team psychologist who I've worked with. And they said to me that, that, that this part of of football is at the forefront of everything they do from Jurgen Klopp as the manager to the academy it runs all the way through it so they have things in place um, strategies procedures that help players with the mental side of the game and I genuinely feel like it, it's slowly changing it's slowly people are starting to see the importance of mindset mentality you know I you'd be amazed at the amount of parents the amount of kids, the amount of players that I speak to that don't understand that they can change their mindset, that they can change their thinking to change their results. And I had a parent say to me the other week, well, it'd be amazing if you could change 
change uh, the way he thinks. And I went, what do you mean? And he was like, I said, did you not think he could change the way he thinks? And he was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> like this is this is the level that you're at. Um, this is where, where some people are at in terms of they just go on and do the same things over and over again and expect a different result. And that is never, ever, ever going to happen. Um, you have to change. You have to start by changing your thinking. You have to start by doing things differently and then things will change for you. Um, and that's where I think it's huge. You know, I go back to the message that you sent me, educating people, educating, educating younger people. And I think if we can educate people from 14 to 18 now, and I think then slowly, you know, as they get into the twenties and thirties, they'd be better prepared for whatever comes, you know, if they're getting released, um, if they're getting better contracts, you know, I've recently wrote a book and it's been forwarded by Sir Kenny Daglish and, we spoke about what I'm doing and I said, look, you have to deal with disappointment. And he said, yeah, but you also have to deal with success. He said, I was in the best Liverpool team and the best Celtic team. And we constantly had to deal with success. We constantly had to deal with churning out performance, churning out result. And, you know, as much as people talk about dealing with disappointment, a lot of people that I played with can't deal with success. That's a, that's a great point. And, when you when you dealing with human beings, they they only know what they know. So if they if they've not read that or they've not been taught that, how are they supposed to even know that that exists? And 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 that's where you come in, isn't it? With with your pro mindset business is putting it out there and getting this sort of viewpoint, saying that it's actually this is a pathway you can choose. hundred percent, and I call it a professional mindset. You know, you're a professional footballer, you're a professional athlete. Um, and what people's perceptions are is that it's about ability. That's all it's about. But for me, it's more about having a professional mindset. It's all about how you think, um, because it starts with that. I talk about an invisible foundation. You know, nobody can see it. But, you know, if you, if you have a foundation of tools, techniques, strategies, coping mechanisms, way of dealing with things then for me, it filters into the physical, it filters into the technical, it filters into the tactical. You know, if you're not in the right mindset, if you're not thinking in the right way, then you're never, ever going to get the best out of all, all the different areas. Um, so for me, going into clubs, working with players, you know, I did a, a Premier League um, first team, Scottish Premier League first team this season. Um, I did a, a presentation via Zoom with the full team around mental performance. And I was absolutely amazed at how, how many didn't know or have ever done anything like this before. How many of them were really into it, James? How many people were, were really into it? How many people were sat there because they, had, you know, they, they were told by their gaffer they needed to sit on and listen? I, th I think, I genuinely think it's really difficult when you're on Zoom to, yeah. it's probably <laughs> one of the hardest to do, but... They were all engaged. At the end, we did the Q&A that lasted about 25 minutes. And I'd say probably seven or eight of them asked questions that were related to the presentation. Um, and when I'm looking on Zoom and I'm seeing them, they're, they're, I genuinely felt like they were engaged in it. I'm working with a couple of the players um, after that presentation. And, you know, it was, it was really, really beneficial for me because, you know, if I can do it in front of that many people 
that many players that you think, Jesus, who is this guy and what is he talking about? Um, and they're benefiting from it and they're, they're sort of starting to think about it. If, even if one player, in my opinion, takes something from that presentation, then I feel like that I've done my job. Yeah, for sure. And then you didn't have to deal with any cameras being off and kids playing games while, while they should be listening. To <laughs> uh, no, not, not at that point. Um, but yeah, and again, like I think um, it's not ideal on, on a Zoom format. You know, it would be brilliant to, be, to sit in a room and to go through it with everybody. But I actually like it. You know, it's it's turned, it's taken my my business to the next level in terms of, I can sit and I do it on evenings, you know, players, it's not on the phone and it's not in person. So it's a little bit in between and players have been really receptive to it. You know, I can share my screen, I can go through presentations and I can build a relationship in this sort of format. And I think it's been really, really good. It, it, it's, it's very interesting because it's not just applicable to professional footballers, this James, this is, this is applicable to employees across the world, to leaders across the world. And I think what you've touched upon really well today is the value of relationships. And, and, and particularly, there's that perception of professional footballers. They're, they're just almost like robots and machines. And they're not. They're just humans playing football. That just happens to be their job. And how important is it? You've touched upon it slightly with relationships. How important is that? feeling of self-worth in an individual to get them performing at their best? It's massive. It's the biggest thing in, in, in my experience at all levels. So again, it's one of the reasons why I did it because it's exactly the same in the Premier League as it is in the National League. Um, even more so in the National League to an extent because a lot of the players at that level don't believe they should be playing higher or they're not professional enough and they don't do things right um, but it starts with their thinking. There's so many players that you see from the National League that have gone on and played in the Premier League, the likes of Harry Maguire, Jamie Vardy, um, Jordan Hugel's an example who I played with. At, uh, he was at Gisborough. He got a move to West Ham and now he's playing at Norwich. He went to Middlesbrough QPR. Um, these players, it, it's all about their thinking. You listen to Jordan Hugel talk and he constantly talks about he never give up. He never give up thinking. He always thought he was going to make it. His mum would question what he was doing. Like, why, why are you still thinking that you're going to be a professional footballer? You need to go, you need to, go to college and do this and this and this. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. And because his mindset was so fixed on what he wanted to do, in my opinion, he went and, he went and achieved it. So I think self-worth is, is, is the biggest thing in football. It's the biggest thing in life. You know, yeah. whether you're 40 years old or whether you're 16, you like to you like to hear, well done. You like to hear, you've been brilliant today. Um, and, and I'm no different, you know, with the managers that I've had in the last three, four years, whenever they've said that to me, it's made me feel really, really good. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, it's a really powerful thing. And sometimes as, as leaders in a variety of circles, you can often forget that amongst the busyness of the day. Just that little thank you just for doing something, that gratitude it is so important. I think I'd, I'd add to that as well, James. Obviously, you being at one club for so long, it is rare for a footballer, isn't it? You don't get too many one-club footballers these days. How have you found those challenges with managers coming in and out, changes of leadership? How have you seen how those have impacted on the changing room? Of what, and what have you done to sort of manage that process and support some of the players in that process? 
Um, yeah, it's been really, really, well, it's a good question. And it's really, it's been really, it was tough. You know, I had Dave Penny to start with and then um, he gave me my opportunity, introduced me to Terry and then he lost his job and Sean O'Driscoll came in. Um, and under Sean, he was the perfect person for me at my, I was probably 25 and he was there for five years. Um, we got promoted, we, we won at Wembley, we won the, the FL Trophy at the Millennium Stadium. We were in the championship for four seasons um, and I absolutely loved him. Like he taught me so much as a person. He was constantly, he was a striver. He was constantly trying to test the group. Um, and then Dean Saunders came in and that was interesting. Um, we had the the experiment. We had Elad Juf, Pascal Chimbonda. Um, we had sort of 10 French players come in. Um, and the, the total different dynamic, you know, we were based, we based everything that for five years under Sean around team spirit, teeth togetherness, um, leadership, taking responsibility. Under Dean, it was the opposite. So it was, you don't say anything. I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, we had players flying in from Paris. We had a lad living in Paris who flew in on a match day. Um, and he played every week and we had lads turning in that, you know, just didn't want to be there. They were there just for the money. Um, and that was really, really difficult. Uh, then Darren Ferguson came in, who I really, really liked, but he came in around when, uh, sorry, Paul Dickoff came in, who again, not much structure, um, an ex-player who never really managed and we got promoted to the championship and he got the job. Um, and then we got relegated on goal difference. And I believe it was based on, you know, the small detail that day-to-day -day stuff that we didn't sort of um, do under, under Paul. Darren Ferguson came in after that and I was 33, 30, well, I was 34. And he got me and Richie Wellens into the office and said, look, there's only one place. You're both 30, 34, 35. There's only, one, there's only place for one of you, basically. And I saw that as a challenge um, because I felt really good and I always like to prove people wrong. Um, and the season, the season after he came in, I ended up getting team of the season. I got player of the season, scored 10, set up 15. I got nominated for player of the league at the, at the PFA Awards um, and had a great relationship with him and still have a great relationship with him now. Um, Grant McCann came in, stripped me of the captaincy and told me that basically that I wouldn't play many games this season. Um, he dropped me for the first two games. I got in on the third game. I played 52 games and we missed out on the playoff semi-final on penalties against Charlton. Um, and I got player of the season that season as well. Um, so for me, it's always been... I've always used it as a motivation to prove people wrong. Ever since I was a kid, when I got let go by Middlesbrough uh, for being too small, I almost used it as, you know what, I want to prove that I am good enough and I will do this and I will do that. Um, and that's the way I've worked throughout my whole career. It's, it's amazing hearing the different leadership styles. It's just unbelievable the differences you get. And I mean, you'll take that forward and you'll have learned something from everybody. Give us your top three tips to being a, a, a really good leader. And it doesn't have to be football related. It could be in any context, James. Personally, um, I think authenticity is the biggest thing. You know, I, I, I was managed under Bobby Robson um, 
and him giving my Premier League debut, like I said, at 19. And he was one of the most authentic, genuine people you'll ever, you'll ever meet. And you could see it. He was 60, 66, 67 when, when he was manager in Newcastle when I was there. And him coming into the, the training ground every single day, giving absolutely everything. He absolutely loved what he did. Um, he didn't hold a grudge. He sort of, he was warm. Um, and yeah, I think authenticity is huge. You know, trying to be somebody you're not, trying to do things that don't suit you. I don't think, I think people see right through it eventually. And I've had managers where that's been the case. You're almost trying to be a manager. Um, so that would be one. I think, again, going back to building relationships and trust um, is huge. You know, finding out what people are about. Darren Ferguson was a master at it. You know, delving deep into people's sort of lives and, and finding out. He still sends messages to me now saying, I hope the family's well. Um, and he, obviously, having Sir Alex as his dad, he's, yeah, he's been up learned, a lot along the way, hasn't he? Well, he's learned from the best. And and, and he, he, he also spoke to me about mistakes he's made when he went to Preston and he basically dug out all the senior pros there. And he said, my dad after that said to me, look, don't, don't go looking for trouble. Don't go looking for conflict because conflict will find you 100%. Um, so you don't have to actually go and look for it. Um, so he, he was one of the best it, that I, I've come across um, in terms of building relationships with players. Um, the third one probably would be find find out what you want to do or how you want to play a philosophy, a almost ethos and stick with it. There's so many managers that I've worked with that chop and change constantly. I know it probably depends on the club. It probably depends on how much time you get. Um, but for a lot of managers that I've worked with, you know, if you get a bad result, it's like, right, we'll scrap that and we'll move on to the next one. And oh my, yeah, we've had a bad result. We'll scrap that um, and we'll move on to the next one. Um, but for me, I think being consistent, finding the way you want to play and working with your players and making it sort of black and white so there's no grey areas, um, I think is huge. Yeah, quality. Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it, Lewis, in schools where you, you, you get initiatives thrown at you and... Really, you just want one way. You want a vision. You want a philosophy. You want a why. You want to know why people's why is. And you want people to be authentic, don't you? And and I think that's the key that you've absolutely nailed there. We're going to wind it down a bit now, James, with our quick-fire questions at the end. And we like to start off with uh, three leaders in, in world history, dead or alive, that you'd love to go out for a meal with. Um. Wow. Good question. Three leaders... As in, as in what? As in world leaders? As in prime ministers? As in anyone? You anyone you want? Anyone? It could be prime ministers, presidents, religious leaders, footballers, whatever you want. Um, I think a big one for me would be Sir Alex. You know, I met him. I met him at the training ground and. <laughs> He has this aura about him that you can imagine. Probably the, arguably the most successful manager of all time. Um, and just to sort of pick his brain on on that, on how and how he was being so successful. I, 
it's amazing. Sort of, I think momentum was huge when he was at Man United. I think he had good players, but I genuinely feel like he was a good delegator. So he delegated really, really well, and his staff were really, really good. Um, so he'd be one that I'd love to sit down with. Um, James, we've asked this question before, James, actually, about Sir Alex gets mentioned a lot. And, and I like to come in on this and say, do you think he would, his methods would be successful now? I don't, I don't think they would be. But I, again, I go back to sort of what we were saying before, football has changed. Um, and I think he had a strong dressing room, the likes of Roy Keane, uh, Gary Neville, um, Rio Ferdinand, you know, and, and it almost every single season or every single sort of chapter, he had a, he had a really strong dressing room that bought into the, the Man United way of playing. And you could see as soon as he left that that all sort of came tumbling down and they're still trying to, to find some sort of replacement now. Um, but I don't think that would, that would work um, in, in these days. I think for me, the second one would, would be uh, Brian Clough. And we go, we talk about the way Sir Alex did things and, and you could go back probably 20 years and go, you know, the way, the way Brian Clough did things. But I was brought up, Desi Clough and Brian Clough are from Middlesbrough and um, I supported Forrest as a kid and watched Brian Clough's teams and watched him go about his business. And then I've watched so many documentaries and spoke to players about him and talk about authenticity, like you couldn't get a more authentic person than Brian Clough, um, you know, and, and talk about building relationships. I think it was um, Mark Crossley who spoke about you know, recently about when he'd made his debut and he actually didn't tell him he was having his debut until 45 minutes before the game kicked off um, because he didn't want him to worry about it. And, you know, he was he was a, he was a one-off he, and there's not many people that sort of... Again, you wouldn't be able to do that these days. I think Jurgen Klopp and Pep are the, type, the types of managers that sort of emulate what he's like. Didn't Cluffy make Crossley go and play for his uh, some Sunday league team the day after or something like that? And <laughs> end of that first week, I think he played against Liverpool and Newcastle, and then he, he, played, he played for his uh, Brian Clough's son Sunday league team, didn't he? That's the story. Yeah, and I think I think when he, he I think he made him sign a contract with no with nothing on it, um, <laughs> to basically say, look, do you want to play for me or not? And then. He eventually filled it in and he ended up buying him a car. I think in them days, you used to have to ask the manager if you could get a car. Um, and he ended up giving him his daughter's car, I think. Um, but go back go back to the authenticity. Like, he, he is one of a kind and he'd definitely be somebody that that I'd love to sort of speak to. Um, Ferguson and Clough, who's the third one? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gone with managers and I think Klopp, for me personally, I support... Well, I, I say I support. I watched Liverpool. Um, I went to Anfield in January to watch Sheffield United play Liverpool um, with my kids. And the atmosphere and just everything about the club at the time is unbelievable. And it's all down to him, in my opinion. Just the mentality, um, the love he has for the group, the way he comes across. <clears throat> and I think the contrast of the three managers, you know, it would be really good to, to find out more about why they do what they do and and how how they get how they've got to where they are you know for Klopp 
he's almost starting not a trend but a way of managing um he's changed the the mold if you like and especially in this country you know when he's cuddling people and when when he first came and they were all behind the goal and I think they drew a game and they were all like doing this behind the goal and like people were like what is this guy doing but he's changed the mentality there's so many players at the lower leagues now or managers and coaches that are doing that um and it's all down to him in my opinion tell you what to be fair Cox I think uh I think that Cluffy would get you all in that that dining room (laughs) you'd have a conversation and then you decide that he was right wouldn't you (laughs) Imagine, imagine trying to decide on a on a bottle of wine or which beer you're going to have on the table with M3. Absolutely no chance. I also like I like how we've moved on in terms of our relationship and trust together as well. Because I've heard Alan slip in a cops two or three times now. <laughs> Best mate. I love it, I love it Al. <laughs> Listen, cops. Um, I've got a couple of ones football related from me uh, for the quick fire ones just for, for football fans that are listening and, and as Donny Rovers fans probably in particular, what, what, what's the favourite game you've ever played in? Um, it's between two. I mean, personally, I scored a, a hat-trick in the semi-final. You know, it was a huge turning point for me against Southend on Sky. Um, beautiful night. We'd, we'd missed out on promotion on the last day of the season. Um, we had to win to go up and we got beat. So we went into the playoffs and I scored a hat-trick uh, they got us to Wembley and then we beat Leeds 1-0. Um, so personally, that would be probably the, one of the best performances that I've ever had. Um, but as a collective, Brentford, when I scored on the last day of the season, um, when we went up as champions, last kick of the last kick of the season on the last day of the season to go up as champions, it doesn't get it doesn't get much better than that. Was that the one where they had the, was it a penalty and it went up the other end straight from it? Yeah, so we needed a draw and they needed to win to get promoted. Um, and there was a penalty in the 90th minute and they had an argument on who was going to take it. The the lad, Marcel Trotter, who was on loan, he took it, he hit the bar and then it broke and we cleared it and one of our lads picked it up, ran the full end, squared it and I tapped it in. Um, and then I think Michael Oliver was the referee on the day. I threw my shirt in the crowd um, and I had to put somebody else's shirt on. I walked onto the pitch and he blew the whistle. And then, yeah, Bournemouth, Bournemouth went up second and we won the league. Um, so it was an unbelievable day. That is quality. What a day to remember. Who was your uh, favourite player you've ever played with? Uh, again, between two, um, it'd have to be Alan Shearer, um, although it, I've sort of made my debut and partnered him up front, but but trained with him a lot. Um, the the leading leading Premier League scorer of all time, and and Billy Sharp, who again I go back to sort of mentality. You're talking about two out and out goal scorers that believed every single time they went on a football pitch that they were going to score a goal. And for me, as a an attacking midfielder who who likes and gets a lot of satisfaction out of setting up goals. Um, they're the type of players you want in your team. So to be fortunate enough to play with both of them and see how they work and operate, it, it was it has to be them too. And they've bagged a few between them, haven't they? Billy Sharp's the leading football league scorer of all time, right? And Shearer, the leading Premier League scorer. In good yeah, and, yeah and, and like you said, I'm still friends with Billy and I'm still trying to get him to Doncaster to finish his career, but I don't think he's going <laughs> to. <laughs> he can stay where he is, Billy. We love him. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, last last one for me though, on the football specific one, James. Who's the toughest player you've played against? Who's your toughest opponent? Um, I think Stuart Pierce. Remember Stuart Pierce? Uh, when I signed at Newcastle, my dad. On the first day I signed for Newcastle, my dad said to me, "Whatever you do, do not nutmeg Stuart Pierce." Um, <laughs> Because I was going through a phase of nutmegging people. And on the first day, we did five asides. And Sir Kenny trained with us. And the ball came to me and I nutmegged Stuart Pearce. Um, and I was 17. And I, I didn't think anything of it. And then the next time I got the ball, he went absolutely straight through me. Um, welcome to, to Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Newcastle. Um, he also, like, on my first day, like, shook my hand and, like, you know, all the best in your career, son, and almost broke my hand. So I'd have to say Stuart Pearce as well. Growing up, 1990 World Cup, you know, watching it as, as a nine-year-old boy, sort of looking at him, you know, psycho, and then having to play against him, yeah, it was it was definitely Stuart Pearce. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and we'll finish off with our last question, and it's, it's very appropriate for all we've talked about. What does infinite learning mean to you, James, uh, that's a very good question. Um, infinite learning is what is what I've learned to to almost implement within my own life. Um, I think when I spoke about coming out of your comfort zone, it's something that I never I never used to do. Um, and I think for me personally, every single day you have an opportunity to learn and to grow and to improve as a person. And again, I don't like, not I don't like saying it, but, you know, I'm, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm talking about almost going over the top with it, but that's the way I look at it. And I think infinite learning, that's what it's about. I think growing as a person, improving as a person, trying to become a better person, but looking yourself in the mirror and not trying to be somebody else, you know, that that's huge in, in, in learning. Um, so for me, it's about trying to be a better person. Um, and there's, there's, as you can tell, I'm a little bit reluctant in saying that, but there's nothing wrong with feeling like that because for a lot of people, when I was growing up, you'd, people would laugh at you or make fun of you. But nowadays, I think it's slowly becoming, you know, acceptable to say that and to think that. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a better person. There's nothing wrong to we to want to be a better human being and, and be happy and help other people. And for me, that's what infinite learning is about. Um, and again, I don't want to come across as this as if I'm, I'm I don't have any faults or I'm perfect because I'm that isn't me. But that that's how I look at infinite learning. Yeah. No. Cheers, James. That's great. And um, I'm just looking at my notes there, and I, and I'd I'd be devastated if I didn't ask it. It's up there on the importance list. England and the 17s in the same team as Joe Cole, Leon Osm, etc. And you mentioned Peter Crouch. Was he that tall at 16 years old? <laughs> he definitely was. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe he played football, if I'm being honest. Um, I remember at Lillyshaw going for my breakfast and meeting him for the first time and almost looking at him thinking, like, how is that even possible? <laughs> You know, like, how is he, how is he ever going to play football? Um, but he was a hell of a player and he had a hell, hell of, hell, like, really good control, really good feet for a big lad. But, yeah, he was, 
He was that tall when he was 16. <laughs> uh, it's madness, isn't it? Absolute madness. Um, James, we're going to bring you to an end. Um, before we go, can you, can you tell our listeners where they can learn a little bit more about you or read about some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, so I have a website um, that's just, just been launched last month, um, promindset.co.uk, um, where we explain more around mental performance, um, what we offer in terms of mentorship. Uh, we have the, the Pro Mindset Club that we're launching in June. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's a website where you can go on and browse and, and you can definitely learn more about what Pro, Mind, Pro Mindset looks like, what mental performance looks like and how important it is. Belting. Cheers. Listen, I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. We've gone, uh, we've gone all over the place, haven't we, with it and covered all sorts of topics. Uh, but thanks a lot for coming on, James. Thoroughly enjoyed it. My pleasure. It was really good meeting you both. And, and like I said before, I think you do an unbelievable job. And I don't want to patronise you, but um, you know it, that's what it's all about for me, trying to educate the younger generation, if you like. <laughs> Thank, thanks, James. I'm the, the older generation. <laughs> I search Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube and IGTV. We're also on all popular podcast platforms. And remember to check us out at theinfinitelearners.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Please leave us a, a review, press subscribe, and let us know how you're getting on with our podcast and the things you're enjoying. Until next time, we'll see you. And thanks a lot, James, for joining us. listening to Sensemakers brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com and if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favourite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.